one aspect of Christianity that separates Christianity from other religions is the genuine relationship that we can have with our God. A truth that is found all throughout Scripture is that we can genuinely know our God and that our God genuinely knows us. And one of the results of genuinely knowing and being known by your God is that He can and He will lead us. And in fact, even better, He he wants to lead us in our lives. The psalmist said that God will instruct us and He will teach us the way that we should go, that He would guide us with His eye. Now, that passage, there is a passage to study and to meditate upon, and that is one to think deeply about. But to me, it speaks of a deep relationship with our God. It speaks of of intimacy, a closeness with him. Now, implicit in this passage is the idea that the way God would lead us is the right way, that it is the good way. That our God, who is good and is all-knowing, would always lead us on ways that is right and true and good. Now, one of the reasons I like this is because it says, I I will guide you with my eye. And what I take from that is an intimacy with God that is such that God can just kind of look the way we should go. And we would catch that signal from God and we would follow him and do what he wants us to do. It pictures like we're standing at a crossroads and God, do I go left or do I go right? And God just motions with his head to go one way and we see it and we take off. It it, it pictures that God doesn't have to shout at us. It pictures God not having to coerce us. It pictures God not having to force us to do what He wants us to do. But we we love Him and we trust Him and we are so close to Him that God simply makes a motion and we follow His leading and go where He wants us to go. Now that is contrasted with a horse and a mule, right? which, which have no understanding and they have to be forced to do what needs to. To be done. And in my mind, it pictures a choice that we have. We have a choice between such intimacy with God that we catch his cues and his signals and we can go where he wants us to go just by him making a motion with his eyes. Or we can be like stubborn, senseless mules that God has to make do what he wants us to do. Now, of course, Scripture teaches that God can do that. Remember the story of a guy named Jonah. Now, the story of Jonah, it's not the story of a guy who loved God and trusted God and just did what God wanted him to do when God motioned where he should go. God said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah gets up and runs in the opposite direction. He only went to Nineveh when his only choice was going to Nineveh or be digested by the giant fish. God forced him to do his will. And God can force us in similar ways to do what he wants us to do. But that's not his desire. His desire is that we would love him and that we would trust him and that we would have such an intimate relationship with him that at the slightest nudge, we would take off in the direction that he wants us to go to do the things that he wants us to do. Now, I personally, I love the idea of God guiding me. I love the idea that that Jesus is the good shepherd that will lead me in the way that I ought to go. And I love the idea that he wants to. He wants to show us how to go in our life, what to do, what paths to take. But sometimes you ever find it's difficult to know 
whether or not it's really God that's leading us or whether it's something else. Today we're going to look at the 23rd Psalm and see that the Lord does indeed lead us. And we're going to look in this and we're going to see really some ways that we can evaluate what we feel led to do, what we feel that we want to do. And we can determine from that whether or not it is our good shepherd leading us. Um, open your Bible to Psalm 23, page 423. When you find that, I'll ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. And what I'll do is I'll read all six verses of Psalm 23, then come back to the part we're going to focus on tonight, today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. You ride on your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The title of the message this morning is He Leads Me. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. You are amazing. You are awesome. You are worthy. You are a God who knows all things, who can do all things. And God, who knows us on an individual and a personal level. Father, Jesus said that you know the, the very hairs of our head. That you know our, our coming and our going. You know the words that we think and the thoughts of our heart. You, you know all things, Father. And God, because you know all things and because you know us, you can always guide us. Along the best path for our lives. You can always lead us to do the things that need to be done. And Father, we want to hear your voice and we want to follow our shepherd. And we want to do your will. Father, today begin to work in our hearts and help us to trust you. To trust completely that your ways are best. To trust completely that your leadership is right. To trust completely that you have our best at heart with everything that you do in us and through us and for us. And Father, let us leave here today committed to following Jesus in all things. Let us leave here today committed to just following the slightest push from you in the direction that we ought to go. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Guide in, in all things, Lord. And help us to respond in ways that demonstrate Jesus is Lord over our lives. We ask this in the mighty and the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, these two verses that we're focusing on today are all about the shepherd leading the sheep. Now, shepherds led the sheep and the sheep were pretty dependent upon the shepherd. The shepherd's job was to know the way to go and to know where to go. 
The shepherd's job was to protect the sheep, to care for the sheep, and to get them where they needed to go. The sheep had one job, a pretty easy one. All they needed to do was hear the voice of their shepherd and follow him wherever he went. And as long as they followed their shepherd, then things were always okay. As long as they followed their shepherd, they were always at the right place at the right time doing the right things. As they followed their shepherd, they were safe. Now, with Jesus as the good shepherd, that John 10 says he, he, we hear his voice and he leads us. His job is the same as the shepherd in David's time. Jesus' job is to know where we need to go. Jesus' job is to know the ways that we need to get there. His job is to ensure that we can get there. His job is to protect us as we go where He wants us to go. We, we only have one job. We only have one job in all that we do in following our shepherd, and that is to follow Him. That's it. I mean, that's all that it boils down to. Jesus will lead us along the best paths for our life, and our only job, right? it's not to co-lead. We aren't co-leaders with Jesus. Right? It's not to, to clarify. We aren't to, to clarify what he's doing and ensure that he knows he's right. We aren't to question his leadership. We aren't to offer a counterpoint to his leadership. We have one job. We follow where he leads us. That's all we're to do. I mean, really, in all of life, if you could boil Christianity down to just one statement. Follow Jesus. Right? When he, he called his disciples, what did he say? Follow me. That's it. That's what we're to do. But following Jesus requires us to trust Him. We have to believe that His way is best. We have to believe that He knows the way to go. We have to believe and trust that He is good and gracious and kind and all of the things that Scripture says that He is. And so our, our central truth today is simply this. When I trust Jesus, I'll follow Jesus. When I trust Jesus, I'll follow Jesus. I'll trust that he knows what's best. I'll trust that he has my best at heart. I'll trust that his way is the right way, the good way, the best way. I'll trust and so I'll follow. And in this passage, what we're looking at, it gives us really, I guess you could say, three characteristics of Jesus's leadership in our lives. And these three characteristics, they can form a grid that we can use. And we can say, okay, I feel led to do this. And we can look, does it this, is it that, is it this? And if it doesn't fall into these categories, we can say, no. No, this isn't Jesus, no matter what it feels like to me. So the first characteristic of Jesus' leadership is that Jesus leads me to times of rest. It says that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Now, I, I know very little about shepherding other than what I've read, but I understand that sheep don't graze. They, they kind of eat to the root, and so you have to move them along or they'll eat up all of the grass in an area. So being a shepherd isn't a, a thing where you just sort of sit and you watch and you play your little harp and you play your flute and you write psalms and then you go on about your business and the next guy comes on. You, you're kind of constantly having to go from one place to another. And... The driving of the sheep, the getting them from point A to point B was often difficult. It was often exhausting. It was often tiresome. But what the shepherd did was he, he pushed them to the limits that he knew they could go. And then when he did, he, he gave them a time where they could stop 
and where they could rest and where they could be refreshed so that they could get back up and so they could go again. Right. It was the times of rest that, that the shepherd led them to. It was never always going to be that way. They were never going to get to one place and stay there forever. They were going to move from place to place to place to place to place. And in between moving, there would be times where they sat still and they rested and they were refreshed so that they could get back up and they could go out and they could move again. Now, for us, what I think this amounts to is that Jesus leads us really to, to live within a balance, right? Because in the Christian life, there are going to be times of intense ministry. There are going to be times where we are busy doing the things that Jesus wants us to do. And we are going to go from just hard at it, go, go and go and go and go and go. And then Jesus at some point is going to come alongside us and say, hold up, it's time to rest. It's time to let your soul be restored so that you can go back out and you can do it again. At times, life is just going to be hard. At times in following Jesus, life is going to be difficult. There are going to be troubles and there are going to be trials and there are going to be all sorts of things that, that attack us in spiritual battles and we are going to, to wear ourselves out in fighting them. But it won't last forever because the time will come when Jesus calls us aside and He calls us to a place of rest to restore our soul. And then to send us back out into the fray. I think we see this in Jesus' ministry. The apostles had been sent out two by two to go and to preach the kingdom of God. They had went out. They had healed the sick. They had cast out demons. They had preached that the kingdom was coming. They had told people to repent and believe and turn to Jesus. And they had, they had been extremely busy. They had walked and gone and preached and healed and delivered and done all of these things. And it says they came back to Jesus and they told him all the things, both of what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But they were busy. They had gone and they had done all of this. And now they came back, but it was time for them to come, come down, come and be alone with Jesus. They need to come and have a time of rest and a time to be refreshed and a time for their souls to be restored so that they could be sent back out into the fray. Now, it is important that we understand the idea that that it was to be sent back out into the fray. This time being alone with Jesus in a deserted place, that wasn't that wasn't the sum total of their following of Jesus. In fact, if you know the story, they didn't even get to be alone with Jesus very much because people figured out where they were and they followed them and they had to get involved in serving again. And so it is a, an issue of balance. There are times where we're going to be busy in serving Jesus. If, we're, if I'm following Jesus, if I'm following Jesus, I'll be busy serving Jesus. Uh, and just let me say that's a pretty important concept. If you're not serving Jesus in some way, you're not actually following Jesus in any way. If we're following Jesus, there will be times where we are really busy in our service to him. There will be needs that we meet. There will be gospel to share. There will be people to pray with, people to pray for. There will be spiritual gifts that we use and help and things that we do. But then at some point, Jesus will call us aside and he will bring us to a time of rest. There will be times in our life where life is difficult. 
We will face spiritual battles. We will go through trials and tribulations. Things will just genuinely, generally be hard. And when that happens, it will go and it will go and it will go. But at some point, Jesus will step in and he will say, that's enough. Peace be still. He will call us aside to a time of rest. But this time of rest is always temporary. This time of rest is to help us increase our strength, to catch our breath, to restore our souls, to renew our relationship with him, to be restored in our confidence of him. And then we are sent back out again. The times of rest that we are promised. It's not a time, not not on this earth. It's not a time where there are no problems. That's not promised in Scripture. The time of rest that we're promised in this life, it's not a time where we don't do anything. It is a time in between. It is a time where we rest, our souls are restored, and once we've done that, we are sent back out to go back out, to, to keep ministering, to fight the good fight, to do the things that need to be done. The times of rest, they are sweet. They are good times. They are, they're just encouraging, they're strengthening, they're helpful. But that's not all there is. It's a temporary time where the Lord restores our strength, restores our soul, and sends us back out to do what needs to be done. When the Lord is my shepherd and I am following him, there will be times of busyness and there will be times of rest. There will be times of tribulation and there will be times of peace. And it will just be a constant cycle going back and forth. So if you are driving on and on and on and on and there's never a time of peace, never a time of rest, you're probably not following Jesus because Jesus will draw you to a time of rest. At the same time, if all you're doing is sitting by the, in the green pastures by the still waters and you're not ever getting out and doing what needs to be done, you're not following Jesus that way either. The Good Shepherd lets us regain our strength, restore our soul, and then we get back out and we do what needs to be done. So when we say, okay, is this Jesus leading me? Well, is it a balanced time of intensity and rest? Or is it just all intensity and no rest or all rest and no intensity? This is the balance that we find as we follow Jesus. It's not one or the other. It's both. So as we follow him, we can say, okay, this has been strong. Now I need to rest. This is going and it goes on. So we can use that as a grid to determine whether or not Jesus is actually leading us or not. Secondly, Jesus leads me in righteousness. So he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Purity, holiness, goodness. We think about the shepherd who leads us in the paths of righteousness. I think there are, as I was thinking about this, there are two, I think two things that will mean that Jesus won't do in his leadership, right? So Jesus will never lead me into sin. If the good shepherd leads me in the paths of righteousness, then I can be certain that he will never lead me into sin. And I can be certain of this because the message that 
that we have heard from him and that we declare to people is that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, light and darkness in John's book refer to basically light refers to purity and holiness. Darkness refers to sin and iniquity. So God is is all light. Right? Everything God is and everything God does and everything God declares is always holy and pure and right and good. Always. Right? And so we can we can be sure, right, that, that when something is evil and something is sinful, it, it is not God leading us. God is perfect in righteousness. God is perfect in holiness. God is perfect in what is right and true and good. And this perfection, it guides everything that he says and everything that he does, everything that he decrees, everything he demands and everything that he allows. That God is light without darkness. It means that his every judgment is perfectly just and righteous. It means that his moral character is perfect in purity and holiness. It means his words are perfectly true without any mixture of error or falsehood. It means that God's every action or every decree or everything he allows, it is perfectly right. God is perfect in all righteousness and all purity and all truth in every possible way. And since this is who God is, we cannot walk in the light with God and in the darkness of sin at the same time. Now, you, we can't miss the strength of what John says. John says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, what do we do? We lie and we do not practice the truth. Now, I'm not saying that. That's not my words. The Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, if you or I, if we say, well, yeah, you know, I'm living in sin, but me and God have our own special thing. Yeah, I know that what I'm doing is sinful, but I think God's okay with it. The times have changed. The world is different now. John says, we're liars and we're not walking in the truth. Isn't it the path that I'm walking on? It leads me into sin. It is not the path of the good shepherd. My good shepherd never, ever, ever leads us into sin. It goes against his character and his nature. It goes against his care for us. Scripture teaches that the wages of sin is death. That when we live in sin, we reap what we sow, and we'll sow to the flesh corruption and destruction. For the good shepherd to lead us in a path that leads to death and corruption and destruction would be like a regular shepherd to lead his sheep into the lion's den. No good shepherd would do that. The good shepherd will never lead us along a path that leads to our destruction. He will never lead us along a path that leads to spiritual death. He never, ever leads me into sin. If I am walking a path of sin, I am not, write that down, not, big letters, following the good shepherd. Secondly, Jesus will never lead me to contradict Scripture. And this is a, it's slightly different than what we just talked about. And I wanted to mention it because it's common in our day for people to say that we have kind of moved beyond a Bible-based religion and relationship. That Christianity, it's more about a relationship than a religion. And since it is that, 
We have a living relationship with Jesus, and so we, we aren't bound by an old book any longer. That as long as I have Jesus, I don't need anything else. That me and Jesus, we will go and do, and He will speak to me, and He will lead me, and He will guide me. Now, that sounds really spiritual. And, and it sounds hard to argue with. I mean, how do you argue that Jesus isn't enough? Well, rather than arguing that Jesus isn't enough, I would just ask a couple of questions, right? How do we know Jesus? Well, we know Jesus by faith, and Scripture says that faith comes by hearing. Hearing by what? The Word of God. See, the reality is, apart from Scripture, we, we don't know Jesus. We can't know Jesus. Now, our relationship with Him, sure, it's a living relationship. And sure, we can grow deeper and constant. And we can hear Him and He can lead us. But all of that is always bound by what Scripture says. And, and in fact, it has to be. Right? Scripture teaches that Satan can appear as an angel of light. Scripture teaches that in the end times, that there will be false Christs will arise. And we must not be deceived by them. Scripture teaches that people will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. How are we going to know a false Christ from the real Christ? The Bible. How are we going to know if it's an angel of light or Satan masquerading as an angel of light? The Scripture. How are we going to know the doctrine of Christ against the doctrine of demons? Scripture. Scripture was always meant to be the foundation. And so that leads to the second question. What did Jesus say? If my relationship with God is all based upon my relationship with Jesus, what did Jesus himself say? Well, we have the answer to that. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, Scripture, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Now, Jesus said the foundation we are to build our life on is his word. Jesus went further and said it's not just believing the Bible, but it's actually hearing it and doing it. In fact, the person who's a fool whose house is destroyed, it's not someone who doesn't hear the Bible. It's someone who doesn't do it. So according to Jesus, the Bible was always meant to be the foundation we built our life upon. And by building our life upon Scripture, we build a firm house that will stand the test of time, that will stand when life gets difficult, that will stand the temptations and the hardships and the trials that we will surely face. Now, if the Bible is meant to be the foundation of our lives, and yet Jesus was just going to lead us to do something different, it's not a very good foundation, is it? It's not a very solid foundation. It wouldn't make sense for Jesus to say, my word is the foundation to build your life on, but I want you to do something different than what I've told you in my word. 
We can be sure that we are not following Jesus if what we're doing is sinful. I will never and you will never follow Jesus into the paths of sin. I can be sure that I am not following Jesus if the path I'm going on is contrary to what Scripture says. Jesus will never lead me to do something that the Bible says not to do. And Jesus will never lead me to not do something that the Bible says I'm supposed to do. If what I'm being led to do is a righteous action, if it is consistent with Scripture, then I can be fairly confident that it is my Savior, my Shepherd, leading me. But if it is, if it is in the paths of sin, if it is contrary to Scripture, I am not, under any circumstances, ever following my Good Shepherd in that path. And then finally, Jesus leads me for His glory. He leads me in all of these ways. This is almost, I think, in the, I think this is the guiding principle for his name's sake. Scripture teaches over and over again that God's name is to be made great among the Gentiles, among those who do not believe. And we are a part of God's name being made great. And so every action, every way that we are led, if we are led by our good shepherd, it will bring glory and honor to his name. It will never Jesus will never lead us to do something that would shame his name. Now, this is one of the ways we know that he'll never lead us contrary to Scripture. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Now, when, when someone names the name of Christ and does something contrary to what Scripture says, God is not glorified. In fact, just the opposite happens. God is, his name is blasphemed. We bring dishonor and shame to his name. Now, I hope you'll permit me to to chase a rabbit with this because I was thinking about this. In fact, I'm going to do a series based on what I'm about to talk about later in the year. But when we think about this, we tend to focus this on what we would call big sins, right? Adultery and fornication and witchcraft, things along those lines. But what about more acceptable sins that are still sins nonetheless? Right? What, what about things like griping and complaining? Paul said to do all things. All things without griping and complaining. The, the next verse goes on to say, so that you can be sons of God who shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation. Right now, if we're told to do it, which we're told to do all things like griping and complaining, that means when we gripe and complain, that's a sin. And when we do all things by griping and complaining, we we dishonor God and we cause his name to be blasphemed among the unbelievers. Now you say, oh, come on, just by griping and complaining. How many unbelievers, you know, that talk about Christians as being soured up and hateful and critical, that gripe and complain and mutter about everything that's still the joy out of all that they do. Do you know unbelievers who say that? It's because Christians who gripe and complain, God is dishonored. God is blasphemed by unbelievers because we grow up and complain as we do it. What about judging? Now, when we talk about judging, we tend to focus on all the things it doesn't mean to judge. And truly, there are things it doesn't mean to judge, right? To say that this is a sin because Scripture says it is, isn't judging. But for all the things that, that aren't judging, Jesus wouldn't prohibit it if there wasn't something that was judging. So when believers are judgmental, 
When we do judge people and we do act in that way, we dishonor God. We cause unbelievers to blaspheme His name. So before we are really quick to say, well, not everything is judging, let's be sure that what we're saying and what we're doing isn't actually judging. Because every time we judge someone and the world sees it, we dishonor God and we cause his name to be blasphemed by the unbelievers. What about pride? Paul said that we have to be careful about pride because pride can bring us under the, the condemnation of the devil. I've heard it said that That it's through pride that an angel became the devil. Proverbs 6 teaches that pride is one of the things that God despises. That it is an abomination in his sight. Pride is anything that makes me feel better than another. If I feel I'm better than you and so I treat you different because I'm better than you. That is pride. That is a sin. And arrogant Christians blaspheme the name of God. As they cause his name to be blasphemed among the unbelievers, they dishonor God. When we allow pride to lift us up and we exalt ourselves over others, it is a sin. And we dishonor God and we cause his name to be blasphemed. How about anger? Jesus said that the spirit of the law of murder was when we are angry without cause. When we treat people, when we get angry and we treat people contemptuously. Now, Here's the harsh thing about that. It's not treat them contemptuously where they can see that's the sin. If I speak contemptuously about someone because I'm angry, well, for any reason, but particularly because I'm angry, that's a sin. It is a sin that dishonors God. It is a sin that causes His name to be blasphemed among unbelievers. Right When we are angry and so we condemn people, that's the other thing that Jesus talks about in that passage. That is a sin. And it dishonors the name of our God and it causes him to be blasphemed among the unbelievers. And then the last one, unforgiveness. Ephesians says that when we let the sun go down on our anger, that we give the devil a mighty foothold in our lives. Hebrews says that there is a a root of bitterness that can spring up and it will defile many. Scripture commands us to forgive. And when we don't and we hold a grudge and we harbor that unforgiveness, we sin. And we dishonor God. And we cause his name to be blasphemed among the unbelievers. Part of the reason church splits are so detrimental to the cause of Christ is because church splits are founded often in one group getting mad at another and being unwilling to overlook anything, unwilling to forgive, unwilling to move past. Would you want to be a part of a group that was always mad? Do you you want to be a part of a group that's never getting over, that always just holds people to an extreme level of accountability, never gives grace, never moves past, never lets go? I wouldn't. And neither does our unbelieving world. They've got plenty of stress in their life. They've got plenty of things that they argue and fuss about. Plenty of other stuff that they wrestle with. 
They don't need to add our stress to their stress. And then there's just a there's a level of hypocrisy. Jesus, please forgive me, but I am not about to forgive red. It just ain't happening. Jesus, please give me grace and mercy. But I'll never give that to Scott. I want God to give me what I'll never give someone else. The world, the world smells the hypocrisy a mile away. Dishonors God. It causes them to blaspheme his name and they'll never, ever have a part with the church. It's easy for us to focus on the big sins. Friends, these are sins all the same. And if we are living in these sins and we are harboring these things in our hearts and in our lives. We are not following our Savior. We are not following the Good Shepherd. Because these things do not bring glory to His name. They dishonor His name. They cause the unbelievers to blaspheme His name. And if those things are in our lives, we must deal with it. And this is the last thing I'll say before I get off my soapbox. Saying, that's just how I am, is inadequate and lame. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are not called to be how we are. We are called to be who God makes us. The Spirit of God and the grace of God can cause us to overcome griping and complaining. Surely, surely God is big enough to cause me to overcome griping and complaining, overcome my natural desire to do that. Surely the grace of God and the Spirit of God is enough to keep me from judging people. Surely the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the the grace of God can help me not to be arrogant and look down on other people. Surely the the grace of God can help me to, to get a handle on my anger. Surely the grace of God would lead me to show forgiveness and mercy to others. If God is not great enough to do that, how can I be sure He's great enough to get me to heaven? These are basic things. That's the way I'm wired. That's not acceptable, friend. Jesus changes us. He transforms us. He makes us different. And He can absolutely overcome any of those things if we want to. So He will lead us to overcome those things because our overcoming those things will bring glory and honor to His name. It will cause unbelievers to say, Wow! What a difference has been made in your life! Jesus can do that in you. He must be real. There must be something to it. So he brings glory to himself in that way. He also brings glory to himself as we follow him. As we follow him, we experience his goodness. We follow him and we see that he leads us in the right paths. He leads us to time of rest. He leads us in paths of righteousness. And so we say things like the psalmist did. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. These verses are written by someone who has followed their shepherd. They have experienced the goodness and the grace and the power of God in them and through them and for them. And the natural overflow is that they would praise and they would glorify their God. And then as we follow our shepherd... And we serve and we do 
all the things that he would have us to do. The unbelieving world sees it. And our light so shines before men. And they see our good works. And they will glorify our Father in heaven. Our lives are meant to bring glory and honor to our God. Jesus said that no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Part of the idea there is, Scripture talks about the salvation that Jesus has given us as the light. He hasn't placed a light within us for us to hide it and not do things that shine in a dark and a dreary world. Everywhere we go today and everywhere we go tomorrow and everywhere we go the day after that and on and on and on. Our lights are meant to shine. He did not put that light within us for us to hide it and go and be kind of hidden Christians. No matter where we go or what we do. The way we live, the way we act, the way we interact, the way we react. It is meant to testify to people that Jesus is real. That Jesus has changed us. That He has made a difference in our life. That because of Him, in Him, we live and we move and we have our being. And they will say, wow, your God is real. Your God is awesome. Can you tell me how to know the God that has made such a difference in your life? Friend, our lives are meant to bring glory and honor to God. And if we are following our great shepherd, our lives always will. Thousands of big ways and small ways all throughout our lives. So I want to close with the question. Are you following Jesus? Does your life follow a pattern of intensity and rest? Are you walking in the paths of righteousness? Does your life bring glory to God? We ought to answer yes to all three questions. And if we're not, it ought to alarm us. Because we are not following the Good Shepherd. Let's.